Hello, welcome to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Here you will find cutting-edge information provided by the best experts in the world so you can learn how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Bruno de Gama is the Brazilian Health Nut in a mission to solve the problems you have when trying to lose weight forever. He is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach by the Czech Institute. Don't forget to say hello and sign up to our free newsletter at www.brazilianhealthnet.com. Let's go. All right, thank you so much for being here with me today, Paul. I super appreciate your time. Can you tell a little bit about your background, your story, and how did you write the perfect health diet with your wife? Well, uh, my background had very little to do with health and, and diet. Um, I was originally a scientist, an astrophysicist, uh, and I got bored with science and uh, decided to go into the business world. Uh, during the time of the internet boom, I uh, helped start a software company and uh, uh, I really enjoyed entrepreneurship, so I, I stayed, uh, founded another company, and then uh, uh, became an advisor uh, to some others. And But as I got into my late 30s, my health, uh, uh, I, I was having some health problems that seemed to keep getting a little bit worse every year, and, uh, and I decided I'd better start tending to my health and, and figure out how to become healthy. And, uh, and what kind of problems did you start having? Like, did you start to gain weight or is it more related to your mental health and like energy? Yeah, it was, it was more, uh, mental health. I started having memory loss. I, um, uh, my mood, I had always been very happy. And what happened was I took, I took a course of antibiotics when I was 29, uh, a year long course of antibiotics for acne. And it didn't fix the acne, but it it uh, it did damage my health, and uh, and I think what what happened is I got some kind of uh, fungal overgrowth, and uh, you know I started having fun fungal skin infections, uh, oral thrush, um, and uh, generally uh, fatigue. My athleticism was greatly reduced. I was a runner, and my running times just kept slowing down. Uh, I developed hypothyroidism, uh, and I started having memory loss my, and impaired mood. So uh, my mood was very flat. It was like I couldn't uh, feel happiness anymore, and you know, and I was a little irritable. Uh, and uh, uh, and you know, and I knew this wasn't you know this wasn't natural for me. There was something wrong. Uh, but when I'd go to the doctor and you know give these complaints. Uh, and then say, well, I don't recognize that as a disease, and you know, I don't have anything I can do for you. And you know, and every year would get a little bit worse. Every year I'd go back to the doctor and say, look, you know, I have these symptoms, and, and he'd say, well, I don't recognize them. And uh, uh, so I think he thought I was a little bit of a hypochondriac or something. But you know, I I knew there was there was something real, and especially when as the memory loss got worse, uh, it was really hurting my productivity at work. So I was I was trying to write a book, and I started, you know, I would forget what I had written the previous paragraph, and uh, I were you writing already this book? Uh, not this book, a different book. 
Oh, okay. um, and you know, this is when I really knew uh, I had to start learning how to be healthy because, uh, you, you know, I my mind is very important to me, and uh, and I was in my thirties, so you know, I uh, I was too young to be losing my memory, and right. uh, uh, so I it really became important to me. But I didn't really know where to turn. Uh, until I discovered the paleo diet in 2005 and that seemed plausible to me so I gave it a try and uh, and it was the first thing I tried that really made a difference in my health and my symptoms uh, so some symptoms immediately got much better and some symptoms immediately got worse and um, so I experimented with it uh, for quite a while and over the first year I gradually realized that I had developed some nutritional deficiencies on my implementation of paleo and uh, and I started repairing those and I and I got a lot better uh, and then I realized if I was deficient if I had discovered a few things that I was deficient in then there were probably a lot more nutrients that I was deficient in and uh, and I should really do a systematic study of you know, how much do you need of each nutrient and what food should you be eating in order to get those nutrients? And so that's what I started doing. And then it ended up taking five years uh, for me to work my way through all of the nutrients and to uh, stabilize on a good diet. Uh, Did your wife also had some problems? How was this yes. journey? Because she co-wrote the book, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, she also had uh, a number of health issues. Uh, hypothyroidism, uh, digestive issues, acid reflux, fatigue, headaches, um, and you know various uh, uh, reproductive-related issues. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, she had some issues. She was a little more cautious, so she let me do all the experimentation, and then when uh, something worked for me, then she'd try it. Mm -hmm. uh, but she was a, a really good partner because uh, she did most of the cooking. And uh, and she was uh, you know very supportive, very flexible, and uh, you know willing to learn how to cook a different way, and uh, you know let me actually pursue some of these experiments. And also, she's uh, she's a biologist at Harvard, and mm -hmm. so uh, through her, I had access to all of the uh, Harvard Library subscriptions to journals, and that really made it much easier to do the research. Uh, nowadays, a lot of journals have open access, but uh, back right, in right. 2005, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, you know, and then we talked things over, and uh, uh, you know, and uh, you know, when she tried things out, we got a second data point on you know, how people were affected. So, um, uh -huh. so I'm sorry, uh, I'm I'm curious here. Then uh, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of uh, all the nutrition and all on your book. But how did you go about, you know, you're going through some challenges with your health and you then you try and you experiment new, new things to see if it's working and then you're writing the book at the same time with your wife. How is this process of uh, the book? I know it has nothing to do with <laughs> health here, with losing weight, but I'm just curious about how did you guys do this together? Well, um, I didn't start writing a book. Uh, I didn't start writing anything until 2009, you know, except okay. collecting notes. You know, so I would collect. So four years. Yeah, so I, w I was okay. just collecting notes uh, for the first four years and experimenting, and you know, groping my way towards a better diet, and and more knowledge, uh, and then, 
by uh, 2010, after five years, I started to feel like, all right, we had a really good handle on what a healthy diet was. And, you know, and I'd done a good, you know, first pass through all of the nutrients and, uh, uh, you know, I'd gotten a good idea of what the right amount was and then translated that to foods. And we've been eating that way ourselves and we've gotten good health results ourselves. Uh, you know, so then I, you know, we were getting really confident that, you know, even if we didn't have uh, the whole story, we were very close to it. And, um, and at the same time, uh, the generation behind me, my aunts and uncles, uh, started coming down with a lot of uh, health conditions of old age. And so I wanted to share what we'd learned. And so initially I just, you know, wrote something up for uh, family, you know, just sort of a digest of what we'd learned and how you should eat. And that was like 40 pages or so. Uh, and then uh, once that was written, then I decided, well, you know, we should really uh, expand it into a book and should write a blog, you know, start a blog. And so I started blogging, created uh, perfecthealthdiet.com. And we chose the name not because we thought we had everything perfect at that time, but because uh, basically what, you know, one of the key things I had learned, you know, strategically is you should really try to aim for perfection, you know, aim for getting everything right. And then even if you miss, you'll still be in a good place. Uh, and, you know, for us, that was... You know, there's maybe 60 nutrients that we know about and have some idea what the optimal amount is. And so if you're making a diet that's trying to optimize 60 different things, and then we were also uh, included in the book, in the book uh, lifestyle advice, things like intermittent fasting, circadian rhythm entrainment. Um, and, you know, so there's more than 60 things that you're trying to optimize simultaneously. And, you know, so we wanted a name that would get across that, you know, you should be motivated to try and optimize many, many different variables. And there's no one magic bullet in health. You can't just take one thing, change it, and then your health will all magically get better. You need to give mm -hmm. your body all of the inputs that it needs uh, in order to maintain itself, repair itself. And that means, you know, 60 different nutrients, you know, 10 different lifestyle inputs. Uh, you know, so you've got a lot of things that you need to tend to. And in order to be healthy, you need to have that attitude. I'm going to uh, do all the little things. I'm going to seek perfection. And so we chose the name Perfect Health Diet because we wanted to encourage people right from the beginning uh, that that's where they needed to aim. Uh, got you. And mm -hmm. uh, so we chose that name. And we started blogging in 2010. Uh, we self-published an early edition of our book in late 2010. Uh, and over the next two years, um, I did a lot of blogging, you know, like uh, three or four blog posts every week. And uh, I learned a lot uh, doing research for those posts. And I also learned a lot uh, of feedback from our readers. So our self-published book sold about 20,000 copies and I had hundreds of readers send me feedback. And uh, so we learned a lot from them. And after two years, we were, we were ready to make an up. Uh, revised edition of our book, and that one was published by Scribner, um, a prestigious publishing house, and uh, and did very well. And we're really really pleased with the the quality of the diet advice in in that yeah. second. Edition. Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much for writing that book with your wife. Actually, I read probably 
four years ago, I guess. And I still recommend to people, I still recommend to my clients as one of the best books if you just you know, want to really get into the nitty-gritty of uh, nutrition and just how to be healthy. And this might be the hardest question here that I have for you. And you already touched a little bit on that because I tell people that there is not one perfect health diet or one perfect way of living to be healthy. I think there is more than one way and people are different. So, and how, how can you answer this question? Is there is one perfect health diet or there is more than one? Well, I think um, I would tend to disagree with you a little. I think, uh, I think the optimum for most people is pretty similar. You know, there's probably mm-hmm. some slight variations uh, from individual to individual. Uh, but generally speaking, the big differences that uh, people see uh, between and how they react to foods are because of ill health. You know, so uh, when, when you're sick or something's wrong, then you can react quite differently to things. So if different people, if, if you have a, a bad gut microbiome, you have infections in your gut, you can react badly to some foods that, you know, would be very healthy uh, for another person. Um, and in different disease conditions, you may want to tweak the diet different ways to have a stronger therapeutic effect against the disease. Uh, but generally speaking, I'd, I'd say healthy people will all do well with a very similar diet. Oh, I apologize. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> no problems. Um, so, you know, in, in general, the, uh, uh, when, you know, we all have a similar body composition. And, you know, and some extreme lifestyles like elite athletes, you know, they may adjust their nutritional needs a little bit because of their mm-hmm. activity. Uh, you know, but most people, uh, they have a quite similar body composition. And, you know, and basically all of our cells and all of our body parts turn over uh, on different time scales, uh, but they all need to be reconstructed, rebuilt. And we eat in order to provide those ingredients. And our cells are designed to self-cannibalize. So they don't really, to generate energy, they don't really uh, rely on food intake. Uh, they, they take uh, proteins and fats and carbohydrates from within the cell, and they consume those. And then when you eat, uh, they take in nutrients from the food and reconstruct themselves. They, the cells expand and uh, regrow to their to the size they they want to be and Mm, so um you know so really uh it's not that you are what you eat it's that you need to eat what you are yeah i'm gonna ask you a little later about this this chapter this part of your book it's really really nice but before that you start your book actually with a little bit about uh paleo perspective right you know looking back into history and why does it make sense for us to look back in, into into the past to figure it out what we should be doing nowadays? Yeah, well, the motivation for us to develop our diet, the original motivation, you know, was based on the paleo argument that, uh, you know, look, if, if you look at how animals eat, if you look at how humans ate until pretty recently, uh, you know, 10,000 years ago, we lived, we hunted and gathered our food. You know, so the only food was you know, living plants and animals, uh, you know, or recently living, you know, that you may have killed a few hours ago. Uh, but, 
you're basically eating all the parts of a living creature. And, uh, and that makes sense because we share an evolutionary history with plants and animals. And there's a lot of shared biology. You know, every living thing has, has DNA, has cell membranes, has proteins. Um, so when we eat living things, we're getting uh, the same ingredients that make up our own bodies. Uh, and that's a very natural diet. But if you go in the supermarket and you look at so many of the foods, especially packaged foods, you'll typically see, you know, if you look at a, a cake or cookie or donut at the ingredients list, uh, it's going to be starch, sugar, oil, uh, mm -hmm. and then flavorings. And so you're missing a, a lot of the ingredients that make up a human being. And so when you, when you eat, we, so we've now, with the advance of technology, we've learned how to create foods or things that you know strike us as foods uh, that just don't nourish us uh, the way natural whole foods do you know that are based on plants and animals and leading us to malnutrition right yeah that's right and yeah. also to obesity epidemics because mm -hmm. you know the food producers make sure to give us calories but they don't give us all the micronutrients that we need and so our brain senses we don't have enough micronutrition and says go eat to get more micronutrients and we eat cookies and donuts and we don't get any of them, but we're getting more and more calories. And, and that's why people eat excess energy diets. And that's why we've had a recent epidemic of obesity and diabetes, mm -hmm. one, of, one of the reasons. Yeah, I want to get it a little later also about this. You had an amazing talk on the Ancestral Health Symposium in 2014 that I saw. It was really good. Cool. But before that, there is a lot of talk about vegetarianism and veganism nowadays, right? But on your book, you say that actually the consumption of fatty animal foods, that was what brought us here. Can you expand a little bit about the importance of fat from coming from animals, please? All right. Well, um, we, you know, we need all of the macronutrients. So our body, um, you know, cells, if you think of the structure of a cell, the cell membranes are all lipids. They're all fats, cholesterol, uh, uh, other molecules that are, uh, so that come in fatty foods, uh, and then proteins and then carbohydrates, um, make up cells and especially the extracellular matrix that connects cells together and so we need we need all of them and we need them in balance and our feeling uh, as a result of looking through the evidence was that many people were under eating lipids and you know fat associated nutrients and overeating uh, carbohydrates a little bit and um, so we recommended you know, so the average American eats about 50% carbohydrates and about 35% uh, fats. And we recommended more or less flipping those. So it was about 35% carbohydrate and 50% fat. Um, and, you know, so um, every, every nutrient, uh, it's good for you if you're eating too little of it, then it's good for you to eat more. And if you're eating mm -hmm. too much of it, then it's good for you to eat less and it's bad for you to eat more. Uh, and, and fats are no different. So, it, uh, you know, so you always have to look at, you know, the value of fats in terms of the context of what people are already doing. And, um, you know, so we think a lot of people would benefit by adding some uh, nutritious fatty foods, uh, especially things that are micronutrient rich like egg yolks. Um, and, uh, you know, and so there's some reason to believe that, you know, people would do better to get more seafood 
uh, which has some uh, omega-3 fats among other nutrients and a lot of good minerals and uh, other nutrition. Uh, people would do well to eat more egg yolks. Um, people would do well to eat more avocados. Uh, coconut milk uh, is a good, uh, a good source of healthy fats. Um, olive oil is, is good. Um, you know, a lot of uh, nuts and nut butters, uh, you know, from cashew butter to almond butter to macadamia nuts, uh, you know, are help, healthy foods. Uh, so, uh, you know, people, people, the average person could stand to uh, eat a little bit more of those. Uh, but then, you know, some people in the paleo community who, you know, when uh, we think a little too low carb, uh, also went go a little bit overboard. Yeah, went a little overboard yeah. on the fats as well. So you know, you gotcha. you can err in, on both sides. Uh, uh, and you know, we we have our recommendations that we think are well balanced. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for that. Hey guys, what's up? Bruno Gama here, Brazilian Health Nut. And let's take a little break from the show because I would like to offer you something. If you go to my website, www.brazilianhealthnut.com and click on the page Burn Fat Forever, you can go ahead and claim your free consultation with me right now, okay? Or you can just send me an email at brazilianhealthnut at gmail.com. So you can start to lose weight and feel healthier right now, okay? So go ahead and claim your free consultation with me and remember that spots are limited, okay? Now let's get back to the show. And one of my favorite chapters in the book was about the breast milk, what the, the breast milk can teach us about human diet because before reading your book, I never really thought this way. Can you share a little bit about the this, uh, this chapter with us, please? Yeah, well... Um, you know, we uh, basically took uh, two approaches to figuring out what's optimal for us. So one of them was, like I said earlier, the way we started, uh, we tried to look at every nutrient and assess what's the optimum amount for every nutrient. And then once we had that, work backwards to what's a mix of foods that optimizes every nutrient simultaneously. But then we also wanted to look at evolutionary arguments. So, you know, coming out of the paleo world, you know, there was a simple evolutionary argument you know, we evolved eating a hunter-gatherer diet, and therefore we're evolved to that for that to be optimal for us, and we should eat that way. Um, and that argument has a few problems, which uh, some anthropologists have criticized. But um, uh, you know, but it's a little bit vague about exactly how we should eat because there's a lot of different hunter-gatherer diets. Yes, uh, different geography. Right? Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, you know, just that idea alone, you know, I think it's correct that we should eat natural whole foods like a hunter-gatherer would, uh, but that doesn't tell us enough. And so we wanted to look for other lines of evolutionary evidence. And one thing we know is that breast milk, you know, must be the perfect food for infants, for human infants. Uh, must. Yeah, because if it wasn't and there was some other food that would make a healthier baby, then evolution would have selected to make that healthier breast milk, right? right. So uh, it has to be perfect as long as the mother is well-nourished enough that she can make a good breast milk. And, uh, you know, so looking at the composition of breast milk tells you a lot. And one of the things we noticed is that most animals, the composition of breast milk is very similar 
uh, and very similar to the composition of human breast milk. And that's telling us that you know, animals really need a very similar diet to humans. And usually the main difference is that animal milks have more protein uh, than human milk. Uh, but apart from that, the proportions are pretty much the same. And the reason for that is that humans have a big brain. Uh, human infants, the brain uses about 70% of calories. And the brain needs almost all carbohydrates and fats. It, it really doesn't need much protein. And so human breast milk is low in protein. Um, mm -hmm. And animals with smaller brains have, you know, have, a, have more protein. Uh, but other, other than that, uh, you know, milk composition is, is pretty similar. And, uh, and it gives us a good idea of what the optimal diet is. And this gets back to the question you asked earlier, does the optimal diet vary between persons? And if breast milk is telling us that the optimal diet doesn't vary much between different species of animals and humans, you know, then it probably doesn't vary much within the human race either. Um, and makes sense. Yeah. And now, uh, so we now infants are a little bit different than adults. Uh, so, for instance, I mentioned that the. Uh, infant brain uses about 70% of energy, and adults it's only 20%. And so you have to adjust. So the optimal uh, nutrition for a, a human adult is a little more similar to the optimal breast milk for an animal, like cow's milk, uh, than it is to uh, human breast milk. Uh, mm -hmm. But the milk is still a good indication of uh, how we should be eating. and. And breast milk is generally around 50% fat and around 30 to 40% carbs. Uh, so human breast milk is 54% fat by calories. Uh, so that gets back to what we said about us being a little bit more fat friendly uh, mm -hmm. than the average American diet. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you so much. And a lot of people say to eat, to eat, we are what you eat, sorry. But you say actually you should eat what you are. So, what is that about? Because this is very interesting take too. Yeah, well, that's what uh, we mentioned that earlier. Right, you know, people right. are really meant to be able to fast. And if you think of how hunter-gatherers lived, you know, they had to go through enforced fasts uh, fairly often when food was scarce. You know, so if, if there is uh, bad weather, or if all the animals have migrated away, or if you've overhunted an area and then food will be scarce and you'll have to go find it. And it may take you a, a couple days to go, you know, find a new food source. And, uh, you know, so fasting would be very common in our uh, ancestral history. And it's very common for wild animals today. You know, so wild animals, they, you know, there's no refrigerators, there's no supermarkets, grocery stores on the corner uh, to go get food whenever you want it. Uh, and animals often you know, have to go extended periods without eating. And that's normal, uh, and it should be normal. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, then we'll, and, and our cells are designed to work that way. They're designed to cannibalize themselves, and then when you eat, uh, everything regrows. But in order for that to work, you need to eat all the nutrition that your body needs to regrow. And if you're not doing that, uh, then the body can't regrow, and fasting becomes very intolerable. It's very unpleasant. Uh, whereas if you're eating well and you're well nourished, you can fast very easily and very comfortably. 
And yeah, that's sorry to interrupt. That's one of the things that changed the most in my life once I started applying everything that I was learning was the ability to go without food for a longer period of time. Because before I would get like on a bad mood right away if I didn't have food for let's say three hours. You know, I get cranky and and I had to have food. But nowadays. For example, I'm going to back to New York City next week, right? I'm in Brazil right now. And I'm going to be doing a 24-hour fast. And I can do that pretty easy nowadays, thanks to the nutrition that I have been applying throughout the last four or five years, right? So, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, we, we noticed that and our, our readers noticed that. You know, all their hunger and cravings went away. Uh, you know, people no longer wanted to binge eat. Uh, fasting became very easy. Uh, you could fast for a long time and not get hungry, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and that's that just means that's normal. That's what happens when you're well nourished, and most people are just not well nourished, and you know, so fasting is very difficult for them, and uh, and that's really a sign that their health is not as good as it should be because their bodies aren't able to maintain themselves as well as they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of the diet. Let's see how does the perfect health diet looks like in terms of more practical stuff like uh, food and ratio. You already mentioned a little bit about the carb to protein to fat ratio. Can you just expand a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, the way that uh, translates into food uh, is you want to have roughly equal proportions uh, of starchy plants, sweet plants, low-calorie vegetables, and meat, fish, and eggs, all right? So basically think of splitting your plate into quarters, and one quarter will be meat, fish, and eggs, the animal foods. Uh, one quarter will be starches, things like potatoes or other tubers, or white rice. Uh, one will be sweet plants, so those be things like fruit, uh, carrots, beets, uh, and then uh, vegetables. And then flavor it with some healthy fats, um, some acids, things like vinegar, uh, lemon juice, lime juice, um, and uh, uh, some stock, and some fermented, uh, something fermented with umami flavor. So that would be like fish sauerkraut. Yeah, fish sauce, soy sauce, anything fermented uh, mm -hmm. uh, will have the umami, uh, umami nutrients, umami flavor. Mm -hmm. What about the ratio and the carb to protein and fatty fat? Yeah, well, one thing uh, people don't really realize is when you're when you're working with natural whole foods instead of all these purified uh, flours and starches, uh, most of the weight of plant foods is water, uh, mm. and and much of the rest is uh, indigestible. You know, maybe fiber, um, other things. Um, so there aren't, you're not really getting a lot of calories. So, you know, so our plate is three quarters or, or more plant foods, uh, but you're actually getting most of the calories from the animal food, right. uh, that you eat. And, um, so, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's the term plant-based diets. You could say our diet is a plant-based diet because it's, uh, Michael Pollan says eat mostly plants. Uh, and that's true for us, even though plants aren't providing most of the calories. Uh, you know, so it's it's really about um, 
balancing the diet and you need to eat mostly plants just because uh, the plants uh, don't have a lot of calories and don't have a you know in order to get the right amount of nutrients out of plants you need to eat uh, about make about three quarters of your food uh, coming mm -hmm. from plants yeah in term in terms of weight it's coming mostly from plants but in terms of calories is actually coming from animal source because they are more rich in calories like you said yeah especially that's fats, right. right yep gotcha gotcha cool so i have two things here to ask you in terms of brazilian culture because one is gonna make a lot of brazilians happy and the other one very very unhappy okay so the first one let's start with the happy one you actually recommend in your diet white rice and i don't know you came to brazil before and we eat a lot of rice here especially white rice so that's a good one however you don't really recommend beans in your diet and we have one the most famous meal we have here in brazil it's called feijoada that's kind of like a festival with beans so it's beans and a lot of meat and sausage and spices and people eat a lot of uh, beans here, beans and rice pretty much every day. So tell us about the beans and the, the white rice, Paul. Yeah, well, um, so I said our diet is mainly about optimizing nutrition, uh, but we also looked at the possibility that foods have toxins uh, that can harm our health. And some foods really do seem to have some toxins that are harmful, like soybeans, for instance. Um, so people who eat a lot of soybeans or soybean-based products like tofu uh, have early cognitive decline. You know, so they'll show cognitive decline at age 60. Um, and they have more thyroid issues, they have more fertility issues, and uh, some other, uh, other problems. And, you know, so... Uh, there's reason, and there's reason to believe from other foods that food toxins may be, you know, a significant health issue. You know, so probably not as important as being well nourished, but you know, still you may be able to improve your diet by reducing toxin content. Now, the good thing is that for a lot of foods, cooking uh, destroys the toxins, and that's the case with white rice. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, rice has some toxins, but they're generally completely destroyed in cooking. Uh, especially if you use a pressure cooker. Yeah. Um, why do you recommend? Sorry. Uh, why do you say uh, white rice instead of uh, like brown rice? Because especially here in Brazil, a lot of people. Oh, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating brown rice, and I always recommend the white rice. And I would love to hear your opinion about that. Yeah. Well, that again, you know, gets to the issue of you know what do we need and what do we want to avoid. So the mm -hmm. brand of the cereal grains, that's where they put the toxins. Uh, you know, so the plants put toxins there aimed at suppressing digestion because they're expecting animals, you know, especially herbivorous animals like cows and horses and uh, so on will come eating their seeds and then they want to suppress digestion so that the seeds survive and they go out with the manure and make a new plant. And, um, you know, so the seeds have those toxins. Uh, they also have, you know, they're hard for us to digest. You know, they're meant to be indigestible by mammals, and so they provide some fiber for gut bacteria. Gut bacteria can do a little bit better at digesting them. And so one issue is, is the fiber beneficial, um, and are the toxins harmful? And uh, we generally recommend avoiding cereal grain toxins 
uh, cereal grain bran uh, just because the toxins are directed at mammals because mammals are the animals that eat uh, cereal grains in nature and um, uh, you know so just to be safe uh, we recommend removing the bran uh, yeah. and that's what manufacturers do when they make white rice uh, and brown rice has the bran. Um, the same issue comes up with the beans uh, so if you dehull the beans so you take the skin off most of the toxins are in the skin uh, then that improves their healthfulness and the other issue with the beans they have a lot of these toxins they have a lot of these digestive inhibitors now with the beans if you prepare them well then the toxins will be destroyed you know yeah that's what I was going to ask you because here the way they prepare this meal the feijoada and just beans in, in general, they soak overnight, like my mom here, she, she's cooking some beans actually right now. And she, she soaked overnight and then she's cooking for a lot of hours on a pressure pot. Yeah. You know, so, so it's like, like a whole preparation. But if you go to, the, especially in the United States, you just can buy those beans on a can. And that's, I totally agree. I, I would never eat that. Right. And all traditional cultures, you know, India, you know, all traditional cultures that eat a lot of beans, they all do that soaking uh, the day before, and then they have long cooking time. So traditional Indian cuisine, you know, they'll soak for a long time, and then they'll have the pot boiling for hours. Uh, and pressure cookers are even better at uh, removing these toxins. Um, but nowadays, we're all about speed, you know, and the factories are all about speed. You know, if you think of how can a factory make money, uh, if you have to soak the beans for 12 hours, and then you have to cook them for three hours, uh, they're not going to make a lot of money. They need a lot of machines, a lot of real estate to get the beans through. Uh, whereas if you can cook them in five minutes, you know, then you can move a lot of beans through the factory, and it's much cheaper. And and that's what they do. So, uh, you know, the industrially produced beans are just not going to destroy the bean toxins. And the result is that uh, the food is is probably not so healthy for us. Mm, interesting, yeah. Very nice take. Another curiosity here, why do you recommend having a little more fish and ruminants and less chicken and pork? Um, comparing one to the other, right? Yeah, so, um, well, basically, we think uh, people get way too m much in the way of omega-6 fats. Oh, okay. And omega-6 fats cause a lot of health issues. And, uh, and uh, chicken and pigs, if they're fed a high-grain diet, you know, so if, if they're living in the wild, uh, then they'll tend to have relatively low omega-6 levels. Uh, but in general, any animal, if you, when you make it obese, it gets more omega-6 fats. And that's especially true with pigs and chickens. And, and food producers do try to make their... their pigs obese, you know, before slaughter. And so you tend to get pretty high omega-6 levels in these, uh, in these animals. And we recommend that people try to keep their omega-6 intake down to 3% of calories. And that's easy to do if you're eating fish, shellfish, beef, lamb, uh, because uh, all of those have the omega-6 fat levels are about 3% of calories. You know, so if your foods are th have 3% of calories, then your diet as a whole is going to be 3% of calories or less. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, pork, if it's, if it's, you know, if, if they fatten up, if they put the, the pigs on an all-grain diet 
and they fatten them up, make them obese, then, then the, the pork fats will be 30% omega-6. And, you know, meat is a quarter of our diet, and, you know, in terms of uh, bulk, and if that meat is 30% omega-6, then, uh, uh, you know, you're quickly going to get way over 3% of your whole diet. Uh, so, um, you know, now if you could eat uh, naturally raised pigs that, you know, were fed on natural foods, then they'd have much lower omega-6 levels and, and you could eat them more often. Uh, but we generally recommend uh, for the t typical supermarket pork or chicken, you know, keep that down to one day a week or so. Yeah, I do the same. Thanks to you. I learned from you this one. <laughs> so let's get into a little bit about the obesity epidemic. And like I told you before, you had an amazing talk on the Ancestral Health Symposium 2014. And I know that was a long talk, like probably almost one hour, where you talk about malnutrition, circadian rhythm, disruption, infections, and disrupted gut microbiome as well. So I know you don't have much time here left, but can you, can you give a little bit about a summary from this talk and in terms of obesity, really what's going on today in the world? Yeah, well, the main point of the talk is um, I presented some evidence that uh, you know, in obesity, just like other health conditions, there's no magic bullet. You know, there's no one variable uh, that, that caused the obesity epidemic to happen. And that's why you know, nobody's come up with a magic bullet cure you know, yes. just uh, eat this or don't eat that or, you know, do this, don't do that, and obesity goes away. Um, yes. In reality, there's a whole bunch of factors uh, that promote obesity, and many of those factors are new. Uh, you know, so we've radically changed the world in just the last hundred years. So we've created a lot of new technology, you know, just think like uh, artificial lighting, you know, like... Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, you know, like, a, I don't know, 130 years ago. And, yes. you know, but artificial lighting, we didn't have street lights at night. You know, we didn't light up our homes uh, until, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago um, uh, in most places. We didn't have televisions, you know, until 50, 60, 70 years ago. And, you know, now what do people do? They have these bright white lights on until they go to bed at 11 p.m. and they're watching television which has a lot of blue light and it's a totally unnatural environment because our natural environment we have a 12-hour day with bright light and we'd have 12 hours of night and the only light we'd see would be campfires and candles you know that uh, give a very reddish yellowish light and it turns out reddish yellowish light is very supportive of nighttime rhythms and and our bodies evolved to need like a 12-hour nighttime. And we're no longer giving it that. We're now, you know, taking 16 hours for daytime, and then we go to sleep. And, you know, we hope to, you know, just let our sleep be our nighttime. And that doesn't work very well for our bodies. Uh, and that's actually a major cause of obesity. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was talking to Ben Greenfield yesterday, actually, and we talk a lot about this, the circadian rhythm, you know, and he was, he gave a little lesson on that, it was awesome, yeah, so important. Also, uh, my neighbor here, I was talking to him, and, and he's the original here on, on the street where I live, and his grandfather was the first one, 
So that's like, I don't know, 60, 80 years, years ago. And he was talking exactly what you just said. He would go to bed around nine and wake up at five, six. You know, he, he was just using some lights from, from candlelight and just relaxing before going, not because there was no artificial lights. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in the same way, you know, we'd have to walk uh, to get around, and, uh, you know, now we drive automobiles, and uh, so we get less exercise. And there's all kinds of changes that have, you know, promoted the obesity epidemic, and they all kind of conspire together. And uh, so it's really important to bring more of that ancestral mindset and, you know, so you don't have to give up the benefits of modern technology, uh, but you do have to figure out how to adjust your life so that you're living it a little more in accord with our ancestral heritage and, and you know, what our bodies evolved to expect from our environment. What about infections and disturbed gut microbiome? Can you tell just a little bit about what is that? Yeah, well, um, microbes have a big impact on our health and our behavior, and it uh, and it's well established now that the gut microbiome really has a big effect on weight. And in mice, for instance, you can take the gut microbes of an obese mouse and you put them into the uh, digestive tract of a lean mouse and the, and the mouse becomes fat. And you take the microbes from a lean mouse and put them in an obese mouse, the mouse becomes slender. And so, uh, you know, microbes have a really big influence on us. and uh, and one of the things that's changed is we've made our environment much more hygienic. Uh, and uh, so germs used to be really virulent. They'd be good at causing disease. They'd be good at causing diarrhea, uh, sneezing, um, all kinds of uh, things that would help them spread to other people. And nowadays we're so hygienic, you know, it doesn't do a germ very much good to cause diarrhea if all the diarrhea is going into the toilet and it gets flushed away and all the germs get killed. You know, so if they're not, you know, getting uh, spread to another person, then it doesn't do them any good to cause those symptoms. So instead, uh, they're no longer, they no longer create acute disease. Instead, they create chronic conditions like obesity. Uh, and, you know, so they, multiply within your gut, you know, they uh, induce you to uh, eat more food. Um, and there's also been changes, people eat fewer fermented foods, they eat less fiber, so they have less diversity in their gut microbiome, uh, right. and that has an impact. Uh, that they're also maintaining the gut less well, that makes them more vulnerable to getting infections in the gut, and inflammation promotes obesity. So adipose tissue is an immune organ. Uh, when immune cells in the gut sense an infection, then some of them go over to the adipose cells and they induce the adipose cells to release inflammatory cytokines, which stimulate the immune system to go attack the infection. And when the adipose cells are doing that, uh, they'll also tend to grow and proliferate. So you get more fat. Uh, if you have a chronic infection that you need to deal with. So as our germs have evolved away from acute diseases, acute infections, to creating chronic infections, and our adipose tissue is an uh, immune organ designed to help us fight chronic infections that are hard to make go away, and as we've gotten a more inflammatory gut 
and inflammatory gut microbiome, that's also promoted obesity. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things people can do to improve their diets, improve their immune function. Uh, you know, simple lifestyle things like intermittent fasting, it really helps to clear bad germs out of the gut. And, uh, mm. you know, so uh, that gets back to what we said. If you're eating a good diet, then fasting becomes easy. And, right. and it's much easier to do it. And then the fasting will pay a lot of dividends. Yeah, there is a lot of research coming out now about the importance of good microbiome. So I think it's the future. Cool. So, Paul, can you please share with us a little bit about your perfect health diet retreat and where can people find you and what have you been working on lately? Yeah, well, people can find us online at perfecthealthdiet.com. Um, one of the things we started uh, going on about three years ago now, uh, we started a health retreat. And, and the idea there was that uh, it can be hard to learn from a book. Not everybody learns from a book. And we'd create an environment where we would optimize everything. You know, we would uh, optimize the environment, optimize the food. We would teach you how to cook. Uh, so my wife has been, you know, spent 10 years learning how to very efficiently cook really delicious and nutritious meals of the perfect health diet variety. Um, so she spends less than 30 minutes a day cooking, but we get, we cook, that's enough to make all of our food uh, for the week uh, yeah. and very inexpensively uh, and it's delicious. And, you know, so she teaches cooking. Um, I teach all the science of how to be healthy. We cover every aspect of, of how to be healthy, uh, including lifestyle, environment, food, nutrition, movement. Um, we have four movement classes uh, a day. We teach, uh, and every class is different. We do one-on-one -on -one assessments of posture, gait, you know, body positioning. You know, a lot of people have uh, their misoriented their body. They have, uh, you know, things don't fit together quite as well as they should. Uh, yeah, and the anatomy is it's a little out of yeah sync, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing how quickly you know, and most of that. It's just habit in the brain. It's actually the brain that drives it and gets you into that position. And with a, some simple uh, retraining exercises, you can you can reteach the brain how the body should be moving, and, and people can move much more freely and feel much better uh, very quickly. And uh, uh, you know, so we do that uh, in the evening. We teach relaxation, stress relief. Uh, so it's very very important to relax in the evening and yes. have all your stress in the daytime. Uh, so a little daytime stress is actually good for us, uh, but you don't want any stress at night. And, uh, uh, you know, so we teach every aspect of health, and it's an immersive experience. People learn a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they get free time. It's on a uh, magnificent beach. It's almost private at the time of the year. We do the retreats. Uh, great weather, swimmable ocean. We've got uh, it's a luxury property. We've got uh, two heated pools. We've got two saltwater pools. We've got two saltwater hot tubs. Um, wow. Really nice environment. And yeah, uh, sounds good. Yeah, and you know, people say although it's a it's a moderately busy schedule, people say it's the most relaxing vacation they've ever had. And <laughs> you know, they get very rested. They sleep very well by the end. Uh, people who come and they learning. Yeah, and they're learning a lot. They're, they're learning a lot, and people who come who are overweight uh, lose weight. You know, they uh, and often they they lose as many inches off their waist as they lose pounds. 
you know, so it's not uncommon to lose uh, four pounds, you know, three pounds, three inches off the waist. Uh, you know, so it's a very healthy weight loss. And this is with no restriction of calories. So we encourage people yep. to eat, you know, as much as they want and, um, you know, and uh, try to calibrate it, you know, so that they're just starting to get hungry at the end of the overnight fast. But, you know, to really enjoy their food and don't mm. don't deprive themselves. And it's, yeah, it's, it's so nice. Yeah. And it's not necessary to deprive yourself to normalize weight. Uh, it's just yeah. a matter of getting healthy and knowing how to live properly. That's awesome, man. That's so good to hear that you're doing this. And we need, we need more people like that looking very holistic, especially for weight loss, when there is a lot of talk about just, you know, exercising more and eating less kind of approach. And are you looking into expanding this to, I don't know, maybe in Brazil? I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in doing this retreat here. Well, um, I wish we could, uh, but actually we've had to cut back a little bit because my wife and I just started a uh, biotech company in order to create a cancer therapy. And okay. that's we're really excited about that. Um, you know, we think we're going to have a cure for cancer in 10 years, but um, in the meantime, uh, we can't do quite as many retreats as, as right. we have done the previous few years. And, uh, and well, that, that's a good reason <laughs> to not do it. Yeah. But, working on cancer. But we'll, we'll continue to do at least one retreat every year. And, uh, and, you know, we encourage people to come. It's a great experience and we really enjoy them a lot and uh, love doing them. Uh, yeah, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Paul, thank you so much and congratulations for all the work that you do and your book is really good. Your, yours and your wife's, right? I always like to say because yeah. I'm, we're always talking on the media so I think people sometimes forget about her part as well. So thank you again for being here with us today and I hope to talk to you soon. All right, thank you very much, Bruno. Thanks for listening to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Go to www.brazilianhealthnut.com for much more information about how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Hasta luego!